Welcome to the Best of St. Joseph Radio, a program that for more than 30 years has sought out eloquent speakers throughout the world to help explain, clarify, and evangelize the Catholic faith. People who seek to put Christ first in their lives, living the Father's will, witnessing to His grace, love, and forgiveness. Now with the aid of technology, we are able to reach the four corners of the world with the gospel message, where Christ Himself did say, those who have ears ought to hear. Brothers and sisters, sit back, relax, and open your ears and heart to the good news on the best of St. Joseph Radio Presents. of St. Joseph Radio presents Today's guest speaker is Father Bill Casey Father Bill is a native of Philadelphia, Pennsylvania and a 1979 graduate of Temple University After graduating from college he served as an officer in the U.S. Army Upon leaving the Army he entered the Congregation of the Fathers of Mercy Father Casey is a nationally renowned speaker So sit back, relax and enjoy The Best of St. Joseph Radio presents Good evening, everyone. Okay, let's begin once again with a prayer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, Amen. Father of light, from whom all good gifts come, send your Spirit into our lives with the power of a mighty wind, and by the flame of your wisdom, open the horizons of our minds. Loosen our tongues to sing your praise in words beyond the power of speech. Without your spirit, we can never raise our voices in words of peace or announce the truth that Jesus is Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Mary, Mother of Mercy. St. Joseph, pray for us. St. Elizabeth Ann Seton, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. A reading from the first letter of St. Paul to Timothy. Although I hope to visit you soon, I am writing you about these matters so that if I should be delayed, you will know what kind of conduct befits a member of God's household, the Church of the Living God, the pillar and bulwark of truth. Wonderful indeed is the mystery of our faith, as we say in professing it. He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated in the spirit, seen by the angels, preached among the Gentiles, believed in throughout the world, taken up into glory. The word of the Lord. Please stand. The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Mark. One day as evening drew on, Jesus said to his disciples, Let us cross over to the farther shore. 
Leaving the crowd, they took him away in the boat in which he was sitting, while the other boats accompanied him. It happened that a bad squall blew up. The waves were breaking over the boat, and it began to ship water badly. Jesus was in the stern through it all, sound asleep on a cushion. They finally woke him and said to him, Teacher, doesn't it matter to you that we are going to drown? He awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Quiet, be still. The wind fell off and everything grew calm. Then he said to them, Why are you so terrified? Why are you lacking in faith? A great awe overcame them at this. They kept saying to one another, Who can this be that the wind and the sea obey him? The Gospel of the Lord. Well, if you would spend any time with me in a parish, you'd come to find out very quickly that I love to quote Archbishop Fulton J. Sheen, the great Catholic preacher of the last century. His cause for canonization has now been introduced in Rome. He may well be the next American saint. Bishop Sheen was a pioneer in the early days of television. Back in the 1950s and the early 60s, he had his own program on primetime television, and for part of that time, his show was number one in the ratings. Could you imagine such a thing today? <laughs> Could you imagine a Catholic bishop with a number one show on television? I can't imagine that. Times have changed that much. It's a different country than it was back then. Uh, I recall that the actor Martin Sheen took his stage name, his professional name, because he was a great admirer of Bishop Sheen. It's ironic that Charlie Sheen is actually named after the man who may be the next American saint. <laughs> Pray for Charlie, huh? Well, Bishop Sheen was known for his great sense of humor, and one time he was out in California giving a lecture to some college students on the UCLA campus, and after he had finished his talk, a heckler in the crowd stood up and shouted at him and yelled out very arrogantly, How did Jonas spend three days in the belly of the whale? Bishop Sheen answered him calmly and said, I haven't got the slightest idea, but when I get to heaven, I'll ask him. And the heckler shouted back, What if he's not there? Bishop Sheen said, if he's not there, then you can ask him. <laughs> you know that I'm from Philly. Uh, one time, Bishop Sheen was visiting Philadelphia, and he was invited to give a talk, a speech, uh, at City Hall there on a Saturday morning. And uh, Bishop Sheen got up early that morning and decided to uh, take a walk through the old city before he was to arrive at City Hall. And uh, he uh, was taking his walk and uh, walking around this block and that block, and eventually he got a little misoriented and lost his way to City Hall. 
And he saw a group of boys playing there on the sidewalk and walked up to the boys and asked for directions how to get to City Hall. One of the boys answered and said, what do you want to go there for? Bishop Sheen said, I'm giving a lecture. The boy said, what's a lecture? The bishop said, it's a long talk to a big group of people. The boy said, well, what are you going to talk about? The bishop said, I am going to tell people how to get to heaven. And the boy said, ha, how are you going to show anybody the way to get to heaven when you can't even find your way to City Hall? <laughs> bishop Sheen was a great defender of the faith. We try to keep his memory alive wherever we go. Uh, with that in mind, I want to begin this evening by throwing out some questions to you, some basic questions about our faith. Some of the same questions I would ask to our students in the parochial schools. And I'm always astonished at how many of our young people don't know the answers to these most basic questions. I'll ask you the questions you can think of the answers to these quietly to yourselves, and I'll tell you what they are. <laughs> First question. In the world today, at last count, according to the Catholic Resource Center in California, there are an estimated 33,000 denominations that profess to be Christian, yet only one can be traced historically back to Jesus Christ and the Apostles. What is the one church founded immediately, directly, and personally by our Lord Jesus Christ in the days of his public life on earth? The answer is the Catholic Church. Second question. What is the only church that has existed continuously for 20 centuries, from Pentecost to the present? Again, the answer is the Catholic Church. Next one. What is the only international, worldwide, united body of Christian believers in the world, the only one united in faith, worship, and government? It is the Catholic Church. More than 50 times, 52 times to be exact, the Second Vatican Council stated that the mystical body of Christ and this institution are one and the same. It is, of course, the Catholic Church. Last one. Recently, a famous Hollywood producer and avowed atheist, Oliver Stone, called this the most hated, the most despised institution in the world. What institution do you think he was talking about? Shall I give you three guesses? <laughs> of course, the institution he was talking about is the Catholic Church. Well, at the Last Supper, Jesus said to the apostles, If you find that the world hates you, remember that it hated me first. Our Lord said, In this world you will have trouble, but fear not, I have overcome the world. One of the greatest Protestant scholars of the 19th century was John Henry Newman of the University of Oxford, a leading figure of the Church of England. And at one point in his illustrious career as a scholar, 
John Henry Newman became fascinated and maybe even obsessed with the controversies between Catholics and Protestants. And the day came when he was compelled to set out to discover for himself, once and for all, which is the true Church of Christ. For years, he studied, he pondered, he pored over the best translations of the most ancient manuscripts of the sacred scriptures, the most authoritative historical documents of the early church, the writings of the earliest saints, especially the most immediate successors of the apostles. Newman was a man of total intellectual honesty, determined to follow the truth wherever the truth would lead him. In all honesty, he set out to debunk the claims of the Catholic Church. He did not find what he was expecting. With every passing day, the evidence became more and more overwhelming and compelling, and one day, all of England was shocked to learn that John Henry Newman had become a Catholic. He went on to become a cardinal of the Catholic Church and the greatest preacher of his day. What Bishop Sheen was to the 20th century, Cardinal Newman was to the 19th. John Henry Newman, of course, was beatified by Pope Benedict XVI last year during his visit to England. Someone once asked Cardinal Newman why it is that the Catholic Church is so widely hated, reviled, why Catholic faith, worship, doctrine, and devotion and history are so continually attacked, distorted, and misrepresented. And Cardinal Newman answered with a sigh and said, It is for the same reason the enemies of Christ called our Lord Beelzebub. Friends, any serious student of church history will be quick to tell you that the normative state of the church is turmoil, conflict, crisis, struggle. The church, the bride of Christ, will always follow her divine spouse along the way of the cross. Lumen Gentium, the dogmatic constitution on the Church of the Second Vatican Council, said this. Lifted above the earth, Christ drew all things to himself. Rising from the dead, he sent his life-giving spirit upon his disciples, and through the Spirit established his body, which is the Church, as the universal sacrament of salvation. Seated at the right hand of the Father, he works unceasingly in the world to draw all people into the church, and through it to join them more closely to himself, nourishing them with his own body and blood, and so making them share in his life of glory. St. Augustine, the greatest theologian of the early church, once said, To love Christ is to love the church. No one can claim to love Christ and despise his mystical body. It's hard to love the church in this day and age, isn't it? For many reasons. Bishop Sheen used to say, Not one person in a thousand hates the Catholic Church for what it really is, but rather for what they mistakenly believe it to be. You know, when I was growing up in the 60s and 70s, outside of my own family, my own home, and my own parish, I heard nothing but the worst 
about the church. And I heard all of the negatives, all the propaganda, the cheap shots and the slander, and it took me years to cut through the distortions to learn the truth about our faith, our church. You see where I am now. The truth is compelling. Our Lord said the truth will set you free. And I'll tell you what. Believe me when I say the last thing in the world I ever expected to be was a priest. My call to the priesthood, I think, is a kind of a miracle. <laughs> if you had known me as a young man, you would understand why. Hmm? So tonight, I obviously am going to talk about the church. The church. And I'm going to reach the heights, the very heights of political incorrectness by telling you what is right about the church. I always talk about the church wherever I go for a couple of very important reasons. The first reason is, of course, because I find wherever I go that more and more Catholics, especially younger Catholics, don't seem to have any idea what it means to be Catholic. No idea why they're Catholics. No idea what the Catholic Church is or what it's about or where it came from. No idea what makes it unique, sets it apart from all the rest, and in fact makes it preeminent to all others. And because so many younger Catholics don't even know the basics of their faith, they have now become easy targets, easy prey for fundamentalist sects, sometimes even religious cults who take the men with a simplistic, inaccurate, false interpretation of an incomplete Bible. Then, of course, we know there are literally millions of others who have fallen away from the practice of the faith if they ever had it to begin with because of the secular, materialistic, pagan culture that we are now living in. Millions of others totally caught up in this mad, mindless pursuit of the so-called American dream. The endless chase after success, status, comfort, pleasure, money, sex, and power, all those things that have no value whatsoever in God's sight for eternity. There is a really bad joke that has been going around for quite some time now. It goes something like this. What is the second biggest Christian denomination in the world? Answer. Roman Catholics. Question. What is the biggest Christian denomination in the world? Answer. Fallen away Catholics. A recent nationwide survey, in fact, showed now that an estimated one out of every ten Americans is a fallen away Catholic. This is where we are. Hmm? Now, I want to take a minute and read you a couple more passages from the Bible. Those of you who have been coming all week know that many times I have quoted from the sacred scriptures. And in doing that, I want to leave you an example to follow. I want to encourage all of you most strongly to read the Bible. Every Catholic should, must. Read the Bible, study the Bible, know the Bible, and love the Bible. The saints have taught us. It is impossible to grow in the spiritual life, to draw closer to God, without the practice of spiritual reading and meditation. We have got to be immersed in the inspired Word of God. The Bible is God's written Word. The words of the Bible are written under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. 
And the Bible is completely truthful. It is all true. That is to say, that when it is correctly, properly read and understood and interpreted, it communicates no errors. We've got to read the Bible the way the church reads the Bible. If we don't read it that way, we're going to get it wrong. This is what we call the analogy of faith. The Bible is divinely inspired and it is inerrant. That is a defined article of our Catholic faith. To deny that is heresy. And as Catholics, don't you know... We have got to know the Bible better than our Protestant friends do, and we have no excuse not to know the Bible because the Bible comes from the Catholic Church. Are you surprised to hear that? That's an historical fact. The Bible, that collection of divinely inspired books of the Old and New Testaments, was put together by the Catholic Church. Out of literally hundreds and thousands of early Christian writings, the early church had to determine which of those writings were divinely inspired and which were not. Which were authentically the Word of God and which were not. The ones that were accepted were pronounced, solemnly pronounced to be divinely inspired by the authority of the church. The authority given to the church by Jesus Christ through the apostles and their successors. My brothers and sisters, remember... There are two sources of God's revelation to humanity. We have the Bible, God's written word, and the church, God's living voice. A living teaching authority established by Christ himself to infallibly interpret for us God's written word and to teach, govern, and sanctify the people of God. Now, if you say, if you claim that the Bible is the sole rule of faith, if you make the sola scriptura argument as so many of our non-Catholic friends do, then you are left with a gigantic, insurmountable problem. Then you're going to have as many denominations as you have interpretations of the Bible. That's impossible. That is not what our Lord established. The church and the Bible. One does not stand without the other. And that is why the Bible itself says in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15, that the church, the church is the pillar and the bulwark of truth. Now, you know, the Bible did not fall out of the sky from heaven one day. The Bible did not drop out of the clouds like some Christians seem to think it did. No, it had to be put together and organized. It took 300 years to do it. And it was preserved, studied, and defended, and taught and proclaimed by the Catholic Church for over a thousand years before the first Protestant churches were ever formed. St. Jerome, the greatest Bible scholar in the history of the Church, said, Ignorance of the Scriptures is ignorance of Christ. Ignorance of the Scriptures is ignorance of Christ. So, we have got to know the Bible, we've got to use it to strengthen our faith and defend our faith, and hand that faith on to our young people. And I would suggest to you that if you want to develop a greater appreciation for the beauty 
the inherent truth of the sacred scriptures and Judeo-Christian revelation, all you have to do is to read the Quran. Now, believe me, I bear no ill will toward anyone. I got no axe to grind. But after the events of 9-11 and the start of the war on terror, I decided to get myself a copy of the Quran. I should have done it long before I did. And I decided just to, to look through it, read through it as best I could, so I could have a basic understanding of what it's all about, to be somewhat familiar with it. And I'll tell you what, it is truly astonishing. It is an eye-opener. The Quran is not like the Bible at all. You've got to understand this. In the Quran, there is no historical narrative. There is no gradual unfolding of God's plan for our salvation. There is no fulfillment of prophecy. There is no theology of redemption. There is no redemption because there is no redeemer in Islam. Islam is not a religion of redemption. The Quran is essentially a series of statements. Statements about Allah and rules for living. And the content of some of those statements, especially the explicit exhortations to a violence against the unbeliever here and now, references to jihad, will always be problematic. Right? Taken literally, without mitigation, without authoritative interpretation, there will be blood. It can't be any other way. And I would suggest to you, this is why 90% of the world's armed conflicts today emanate from militant Islamic fundamentalists. All right? Now, if you don't believe me, don't take my word for it. Read it yourself. You be the judge. Hmm? That having been said, let me get back to our topic. When we talk about the church, it is interesting to take note of the fact that our Lord used the word church in only two places in the gospel. And I want to read you both those passages because they tell us something about the true nature, the true character of the Catholic church. The first, the most famous, is in the gospel of St. Matthew, chapter 16, beginning in verse 13. And this is Jesus speaking to the twelve apostles in the city of Caesarea Philippi, where he asks them the question. Who do people say the Son of Man is? They reply, some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter said in reply, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus said to him in reply, blessed are you Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my heavenly Father. And so I say to you, you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. 
Now, this is the second passage, the only other one where Jesus used the word church. It is also in St. Matthew's Gospel in chapter 18, beginning in verse 15. This is Jesus again speaking to the apostles. Jesus says, If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you've won over your brother. If he does not listen, take one or two others along with you so that every fact may be established on the testimony of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell the church. If he refuses to listen even to the church, then treat him as you would a Gentile or a tax collector. Amen, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Now, my brothers and sisters, tonight I want you to carefully consider our Lord's words to St. Peter in the Gospel. Jesus said, You are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Notice that our Lord did not say, Upon this rock I will build your church, or you will build your church, or you will build my church. He said, I will build my church. Our Lord did not say, if your brother sins against you and he won't listen to you and he won't listen to two or three witnesses, go tell a church. Or go tell one or two churches. Or tell two or three churches. He said, tell the church. Singular. So the Gospel shows us clearly that our Lord Jesus Christ established a church. A church to be especially His own. A church that He endowed with the fullness of divinely revealed truth and all the means of salvation. And the Gospel shows us what the church is not. The church is not an invisible fellowship of like-minded believers. The church is a real organization, more than just an organization. The church is an organism, a body, a living body with living members, and we are those living members by virtue of our baptism. And the church is a body that has been given very real authority, apostolic authority, divine authority. And the center, the focal point of that apostolic authority is the Sea of Peter. Vested in the successor of St. Peter, the Pope. Who is the Pope? Who is Pope Benedict XVI? He is the 264th successor of the Apostle St. Peter. That's who he is. Now, let me ask you this question. Why did our Lord establish Rome as the seat of authority for His church? Why did the Holy Spirit send the two greatest apostles, St. Peter and St. Paul, to establish the church in Rome as the capital of the Christian world? Remember, it could not have been Jerusalem. Jerusalem was destined to be destroyed for its lack of faith. 
as our Lord foretold in the Gospel. So it was in 70 A.D. by the Roman legions. It could not have been Jerusalem. It had to be Rome. Why? Remember that our Lord was rejected by His own people because He was not the kind of Messiah they were looking for. He was not the kind of Savior they were expecting. They were not looking for a spiritual leader. Apparently, they did not want one. They, rather, were looking for a political leader, a military leader, an earthly king to free them from the tyranny of the Roman Empire. It had to be Rome. Rome was the political, social, economic, military center of the ancient world. There was a saying in the ancient world, all roads lead to Rome. So, if they were going to evangelize the whole world, win that world over to Christ, what better starting point, what better springboard could they have than the city that dominated and ruled the ancient world? Rome. Rome is an everlasting reminder, especially to the chosen people, of who it is who conquered the Roman Empire. Not by force of arms, not by military conquest, but by love, by faith, truth. Now, unless you've been living on another planet of late, you know very well the church is going through some very, very bad times today. Father John Harden, the greatest dogmatic theologian this country has ever produced, said shortly before his death that we are living at the time of the greatest crisis of faith in the 2,000-year history of the church. These are truly times of great crisis and confusion in the church in many ways. For example, we know that we really are living at the time of a very, very severe spiritual and moral decline. The moral foundations of our country seem to be crumbling all around us. Accelerated exponentially by the electronic media, television, the internet, Catholics, especially American Catholics, are under tremendous, relentless societal pressure to conform themselves to the pagan mores of our contemporary culture. Millions are giving in. God helps. Today, countless Christians are falling away, losing the faith. Record numbers. Sociologists tell us that there is now no difference in the rates of divorce, abortion, suicide and crime between Catholics and non-Catholics. We now have the first generation of young people in the history of this country who do not know the Ten Commandments. The vast majority of our young people have no moral formation, no formation of conscience. They absorb their values from the mass media, the American pop culture, and from their peers. Is it any wonder they've got so many of them, the MTV mentality, the Jersey Shore mentality? 
Today, God's word and the teaching of the church are being denied everywhere, even in certain so-called Catholic colleges and universities. Our Holy Father, the Pope, runs into opposition and disobedience everywhere within the church itself. And in the newspapers, of course, we're still reading about scandals in the church and some of the most shocking moral corruption among the clergy. The spiritual descendants of Judas are still alive and well among us today. The church, as you well know, has been infected by scandal. But it seems to me, looking back on the history of the church, that the first scandal is still the worst. Our Lord chose 12 men to be his apostles. One of them was no good. And our Lord knew he was no good. Let me ask you this. As we get on to the subject of scandal, did you ever wonder why our Lord chose Judas to be one of the 12 apostles? Our Lord chose Judas to be one of the 12, knowing all along, knowing from all eternity, in fact, that Judas would be the one to betray him. And he chose Judas anyway. Why? Now, God never took away Judas' free will. Judas freely, willingly chose to betray our Lord, and our Lord knew he would do it and chose him anyway. Why? It's always been very obvious. You see, our Lord chose Judas to be for us an everlasting reminder and we will have to live with scandals in the church. Jesus said, scandal must inevitably come, but woe to that man by whom it comes. Better for that man if he had never been born. Better for that man to have a millstone hung around his neck and to be cast into the depths of the sea than to scandalize one of these little ones who believes in me. Judas is for us an everlasting reminder that not every shepherd is a good shepherd. There will be wolves in the sheepfold, sometimes even wolves in shepherd's clothing. So when you hear about scandals in the church and all the worst corruption among some of the clergy, you know, that should not shake your faith. That should not shake your faith in Jesus Christ or in the church that he founded. Remember, he gave us Judas as a warning. You know, Bishop Sheen used to compare the church to Noah's Ark. Noah's Ark carrying the remnant of the faithful to salvation through the storms of life and the flood tide of evil in the world. And he used to say, with all those animals in Noah's Ark for all that time, you can bet there were times when things were smelling pretty bad in there. <laughs> so it is today. Certainly, friends, it is true to say the church has seen better days than these. But we have to remember, in the past 2,000 years, the church has been through all these kind of things many times before, and no matter how bad things might seem to get in the church and in the world today, no matter how bad things might seem to be, remember this. I talked about the Bible earlier. Well, I read the end of the book, and we win. Okay? The gates of hell are not going to prevail against the church founded by Jesus Christ. It ain't going to happen. And church history has proven time and time again that God always raises up the greatest saints in times of crisis and confusion in his church. The present age will be no different. And in all this, 
in the midst of this whole mess, this whole crisis of faith, remember that our Lord is giving each one of us the opportunity to practice heroic virtue, especially the virtue of fidelity. The saints have always taught that in the latter days, the church is destined to suffer in a mystical way all that our Lord suffered at the time of his passion. The Catechism of the Catholic Church in the section on eschatology states this clearly. In the latter days, the days before our Lord's second coming, the church, his mystical body, will be abandoned, betrayed, denied, scourged, marked, and crucified. Bishop Sheen used to say, in the 2,000-year history of the church, the church has been through a thousand crucifixions and a thousand resurrections. We've got to be faithful. In our gospel reading this evening from St. Mark, Jesus and the apostles are in the boat in the Sea of Galilee, and they're caught in the middle of a violent storm, and the apostles are afraid that their little boat is about to be swept under by the waves. And so they rush to wake our Lord, and when they wake him up, he shows them his power over the forces of nature. The divine power he has as the Son of God, and he commands the winds and the waves to die down, and he puts an end to the storm. Then what does he do? Then he turns and he rebukes the apostles for their lack of faith. He berates them for believing that somehow he would abandon them in their time of danger. Whenever I read this gospel, I can't help but think how much like the apostles we can be at times. How ready we are to believe in some of the darkest days of our lives, in some of the most difficult moments of our lives, that somehow our Lord would abandon us and leave us alone, and it is precisely at those times He is always closest to us and ready to help us with His saving grace. I always use this gospel when I talk about the church, and I think it's one of the more important events in the gospel, and it happened by the will of God for a reason, to teach the apostles and their successors and all of God's people through every age a very important lesson. That lesson is there are going to be times in the life of the church and in our own daily lives as well when trouble is sure to come. In every one of our lives there will be times of hardship, times of crisis, times of personal tragedy, loss, times of sickness, disappointment, sorrow, failure. Times when suffering will come to us. Times when the cross will touch our lives and put our faith to the test. And we know those kind of storms can arise suddenly and without warning. There's always the danger they can overwhelm us and sweep us away unless we put all of our faith and all of our hope and all of our trust in the one who knows us and loves us and cares for us more than we do ourselves. Jesus Christ, the Son of God. St. Peter said, cast all your cares on him because he cares for you. St. Paul said, I have strength for everything in him who gives me strength. Those of you who are familiar with the lives of the saints know very well that suffering is nothing new to the people of God. There have been countless times in the history of the church 
when Catholics have been called upon to suffer and to die for their faith in great numbers. Are you aware of the fact that more Catholics died in the persecutions of the bloody 20th century than at any time since our Lord founded the Church? That's an historical fact. We only have to think of the 8 million Catholics who died in Ukraine under Stalin back in the 1930s. And the millions of others who died in places like Russia, China, Lithuania, Poland, Spain, Mexico, Armenia, Albania, Korea, Sudan. Don't you know that right now, right now, our Catholic brothers and sisters living in the Middle East, in so many places, are living in fear. The church is being severely, violently persecuted right now in places like Pakistan, Iraq, Egypt, Sudan. Churches. Churches are being burned and bombed Church leaders marked for assassination. There is no end in sight. We should think of them and pray for them every day. And I'll tell you what, we don't know how good we've got it in this country. The church has to endure through all the persecutions and all the wars and the disasters, the revolutions and the upheavals, and all the different attempts to destroy her. And through every century, the Catholic Church has proven that she can stand the test of time. The Catholic Church has withstood the acid test of time like no other institution in history. In the first 300 years after our Lord founded the Church, the Roman Empire, the worst tyranny the world has ever seen, the most powerful empire the world has ever known, persecuted the Christians, drove them underground into the catacombs. Millions were put to death. The first 30 popes were martyred or died in exile. But even the might of the Roman legions could not stamp out the simple faith of those humble Christian believers. And as we like to say, the blood, the blood of the martyrs became the seed of our Catholic faith. Ten times, ten times under ten different emperors, the Roman Empire tried to crush the Catholic Church and failed. And today, almost 2,000 years later, our Lord's promises still stand unbroken. And we remember what those promises were according to the Gospel. First, Jesus promised to be with His church until the end of time. Before He ascended into heaven, He said to the apostles, I am with you always, even until the end of the world. Our Lord personally founded His church. And he gave His own divine authority to St. Peter and the apostles and he promised the gates of hell would not prevail. And if our Lord had the promise that the gates of hell would never destroy his church, you can presume that it was because he knew well the gates of hell were going to try. They're going to go on trying until the end of time. We cannot disassociate ourselves from the cross of Jesus Christ. Remember what our Lord said? If anyone would be my disciple, let him take up his cross daily and follow in my footsteps. 
Do you remember, friends, that at the Last Supper, Jesus promised that the Holy Spirit, the paraclete, the Spirit of truth, would lead and guide his apostolic church, his apostolic union in the fullness of truth, in all truth, until the end of time? How many Catholics have stopped believing that? <laughs> oh, how many are there in the church who think they know a better way than the one Christ established? A better law than the one God gave? And how do you explain the fact that the doctrinal and moral teachings of the Catholic Church and only the Catholic Church have never changed? They have seen no alteration in 2,000 years. Why is it? It's because the Holy Spirit is the guarantor of truth. Just as our Lord promised. Jesus said, Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. That is why down through history, every plan, every attempt to destroy the church has always ended in utter, abject failure. That is why every tyrant who swore to destroy the Catholic Church, men like Nero, Napoleon, Stalin, could never succeed in bringing her down. That is because the church is something more than just a human organization. The church is a divine institution established by God himself in the person of his son, Jesus Christ. And that is why no human power can ever destroy her. No man, no people, no army, no government can destroy the work of God. And I say to you again, this trust and confidence we have in Jesus as our Lord and Savior does not only apply to the life of the church. It will apply in our own daily lives as well as long as we are faithful, faithful to the church. Because through everything we will have to suffer in this life. Through all the hell we'll have to go through. Through all of our personal problems, the family problems, the financial problems, the marital problems, the moral problems, the health problems, through all the painful interior struggles we've got to go through, through all the loneliness, the anxiety, and the stress, and the sorrow, and the pain, we know that Jesus is always, always there to save us when we turn to Him in prayer. And if ever it should seem like our Lord is abandoning us, we know that it's not true, and it never will be. He's the light of the world. He is the light that drives the darkness out of our lives. He is the Prince of Peace. He is the peace that will calm every storm in our hearts in just the same way that He put an end to the storm on the lake. Now, before I close here, I want to restate for you another basic truth of the faith. One that has been restated in recent years by the Second Vatican Council and in the Catechism of the Catholic Church and other church documents. And now, don't get me wrong. I say this without excluding anyone from the possibility of salvation. We never do that. We pass judgment on no one. But we say the Catholic Church bears the four marks of the true church. Four distinctive qualities, characters that set her apart from all the rest. She is one, holy, Catholic, and apostolic. 
I've got enough time left to focus on just one. One of those marks. It's the word apostolic. Right? Here's the question. <clears throat> Friends, where does the authority of the church come from? What gives the Catholic Church the right to teach definitively in matters of faith and morals? The right to command religious assent of faith. It is the principle of apostolic succession. It's because our Pope and our bishops are true historical successors of the apostles and their authority comes from Jesus Christ himself. Jesus gave the apostles what we call the Great Commission. To go and preach the gospel to all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything he had commanded. And the apostles, before they died, ordained other men to take their places, men they called the bishops. And those bishops, in turn, ordained other bishops, who ordained other bishops, and so on and so on, down through the centuries. So the Catholic Church keeps, preserves, an unbroken line of succession, an unbroken chain of succession that links her bishops and priests with the twelve apostles. Friends, that's where the authority of the church comes from. Remember, the authority of the church, the teaching authority we call the magisterium of the church, does not come from public opinion polls. It does not come by popular vote. It does not come by majority rule. The church is not, and never has been, a democracy. The church, we say, is a divine autocracy. Christ stands at the head of his church. The church is his mystical body. And we know that every body, every body has got to have a soul. Nobody can live without a soul. A body without a soul is dead. And the soul that gives life to the mystical body of Christ is the Holy Spirit. My brothers and sisters, God sent a light into the world. He showed that light for the whole world to see in the wisdom, in the prophecy, in, in the miracles of Jesus Christ. In all of human history, in all of history, the coming of one man, only one man, was pre-announced. Centuries before he came on the scene. All those prophecies were fulfilled. In the coming of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, and our Lord and Savior founded a church, a church to be his own, a church to be the vehicle to carry us to heaven. And that church is the one holy Roman Catholic church. Thank you all for coming tonight. You've been listening to the best of St. Joseph Radio presents. As always, anytime you hear something that speaks to you or know someone that would benefit from today's program, visit our website at www.saintjosephradio.net. 
or call us toll-free for a copy at 855-447-6000. That's 855-447-6000. Until next time, this is Matt Logeman for St. Joseph Radio Presents. been listening to St. Joseph Radio Presents from the Rome of the West, St. Louis, Missouri. If you would like to join us in our evangelization efforts, you can order a copy of today's broadcast or any of our past programs by visiting us on our website, stjosephradio.net. That's S-A-I-N-T, josephradio.net. Or call us, 636-447-6000. It's all at your fingertips to help us evangelize the world, bringing the good news of Christ to everyone one you meet and change one soul at a time. Thank you for your prayers and support. Until next time, may God bless you and your family. This has been a presentation of St. Joseph Radio Presents.